Good morning. As we uh, begin today, let me read a short passage from Paul's letter to the Romans, chapter 12, verses 9 through 21. Let's hear the word of the Lord. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil and cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor. Serving the Lord, be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need and practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Don't be proud, but be willing to associate with people in low position. Do not be conceited. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. And if it is, is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Let's pray. Lord God, may you take uh, the words that we've just heard and the words that you've helped me to prepare this week, and by your Spirit, may you speak to each one of our hearts. Help us to know your mind and your will for our lives this day. We thank you in Christ's name. Amen. If your family is anything like mine, whenever a bunch of us get together, someone inevitably says, remember when? Remember. And then they tell a story. Remember when your crazy uncle got that fish hook stuck in his earlobe? Remember that trip we took to the Grand Canyon when we rode on wobbly burrows all the way to the bottom? Remember when we held hands and prayed around Grandma's hospital bed. Remember. Some of our remembering is pleasant and humorous and brings out instant laughter, and some of our rememberings bring a tear to the eye or even a lump to the throat, especially our more somber memories of loved ones who are no longer present with us in body but who are powerfully present in our memories. But whether pleasant or painful, remembering is such an important part of family life. And as a nation, we also remember we have a national memory that unites us, and we use these memories as markers that define various periods of our life together. And September 11th, 2001, is that kind of a marker in American history. It's a dividing point. There was before 9-11, and then there's life after. And 9-11 will be the date of demarcation for the generation, for this generation, current high school and college students. They will remember that they lived through that tragedy, like November 22, 1963 was to a previous generation when President John Kennedy was shot. Or like December 7, 1941 was to the generation before that when Pearl Harbor was attacked and the United States entered World War II. Everyone remembers what they were doing on that kind of day. We remember because that day changed things locally, globally, personally. People we know and love were affected forever 
because of that day's events. And so we remember. The way we look at the world changed, too. Our sense of invincibility, our sense of being immune to the terrors that are running loose in the world, all of that changed. And immediately afterwards, there was a wave of patriotism that really brought the country together. At our staff meeting this week, somebody was remembering that in the days following 9-11, you couldn't buy an American flag anywhere. They were all sold out, and American flag lapel pins appeared instantly on almost every suit coat. And the churches, the churches were full. People prayed together in the streets. People turned to God from their confusion and their fear, and they found great comfort and strength in their faith. But it was just a wave. With time, the emotion of the moment fades. The intensity of feeling ebbs. Political wrangling quickly reappeared. Within a couple of months, partisan politics replaced all that patriotic unity. People were jockeying for power, for position, for prestige, for money. Finger-pointing and second-guessing took center stage. By Christmas, the churches had emptied out again. Some folks stayed. Some folks had a true renewal of faith. But for the most part, it was back to business as usual. And God got squeezed out by the daily demands of life. And as all the talking heads talked endlessly about everything, a kind of post-traumatic stress kicked in. And people began to shut down with, with too much exposure people began to become desensitized. And that's not good or bad. It's just human nature. It's a defense mechanism. When our psyche begins to feel overloaded, we shut down. We have to dial it back. We have to find a a new normal. And we go back to what's comfortable. And over time, people forget. So we need reminders. We need celebrations, anniversaries. We need renewals. We do that with birthdays and wedding anniversaries and other special events. And that's why we need days like today to remember, to remember and honor the past, the people, the courage, the loss, the sacrifice. But we also need to look with hope to the future because if we get stuck in the past, we lose the ability to live effectively for Christ in the present. And folks, we've got a lot of work to do, to do for him in the here and now and in the decades to come. This world is a broken place apart from Christ. And he's counting on us to be his hands and his feet and his voice to a hurting world until he comes again. The challenge to be his church has never been greater. And the opportunity to reach people with the gospel message and his grace has never been greater either. And so during this morning of remembrance and hope, I want us to understand two very simple truths. First, evil is real, and it affects every person on the planet. And second, evil must be opposed, but it can only be overcome by love. Let's think about the first one for a moment, that evil is real. The Bible plainly teaches in our experience, we know this to be true, The Bible teaches from the first page to the last that this world isn't operating as God intended it to be. That we aren't operating as God intended us to be. We're off-center. We're askew. Because of our 
willful rebellion against God, our very human essence has been, has been compromised and corrupted. The, the human hard drive that we call the soul has been damaged. There's a glitch in human nature that we cannot fix on our own. It's not fixed by education or wealth or even by loving relationships. Some of the greatest atrocities in human history have been perpetrated by educated, wealthy, well-loved people. No, we can't fix ourselves, no matter how hard we try. The Bible calls this problem of a damaged human nature, it calls it sin, sort of with a capital S. And it goes to the core of every person. It affects everyone. It's something we share with every person on this planet. And we can think of the word sins with a small s as the symptoms of that deeper disease. And some of us are better at managing the symptoms than others. Some of us are better at you know, looking nicer, fairer, kinder than others. But that just means we're adept at managing the symptoms. We've still all got the same disease. That means evil isn't something that just exists out there. Evil isn't something that just exists in other people or in other situations. If we're going to understand anything about how God views us, we need to own up to the evil that resides in our own hearts. And that's why Paul's advice to the Romans is so significant. Paul recognizes that if we are believers in Christ, then we have this dynamic tension within ourselves this dynamic tension between good and evil, between sin and obedience. We can't fix our own sin nature. We get angry. We seek revenge. We store up hatred in our own hearts. And that's why we need Jesus, because he's the one, the only one who has the power to break the curse of sin, to pay the penalty of sin for us on the cross, to set us free, to live a new way of life in the grace of God. We're not any better than anybody else on the planet. And so when we think about a person that we consider to be, to be evil, a, a terrorist, a murderer, or whatever, our very next thought should be, there but for the grace of God go I. Because all of that is in our hearts too. None of us is immune. Evil affects us all. But there are evil people in the world who sincerely want to hurt and injure and destroy others and our way of life. People who hate democracy, people who hate Christianity, people who do not follow a code of ethics or morals that makes any sense to us, people who feel justified in blowing up innocent men, women, and children just to spread confusion and terror and unrest. And we now live in such a globally connected world that what happens halfway around the, 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 the planet may directly affect the peace and security of places where we live and work and, and go to school. When evil people act, the ripple effect can spread far and wide. Evil exists, and it affects every person on this planet. So evil must be opposed Throughout Scripture, God commands his people to actively oppose evil, first within ourselves, but also in the cultures around us, because when light is absent, darkness is automatic, and we are called to be God's light. Throughout the Old Testament, there are repeated calls for God's people to stand up against injustice, to to defend the powerless, to protect those who cannot protect themselves. 
protect those who are being abused or, or being threatened. The greatest prophetic indictments against ancient Israel came because of the economic and moral exploitation that they allowed in their land. God requires that his people stand up for righteousness. And sometimes that requires the use of force. You know, most of the time people only want to take kind of a narrow bandwidth of what the Bible teaches. They like a few verses from the Psalms and maybe a couple of comforting words from Jesus. We all tend to like all the stuff about being peacemakers and reconcilers, and we should be those things. But we need to read the whole Bible. And there's a lot of violence in it. And violence that actually comes from the hand of God. And people are uncomfortable with that. But particularly if you read about what the second coming of Christ is going to be like. Well, Jesus coming in power to judge, well, it is not a very pleasant picture. You see, we like to identify with the Jesus who carries lambs on his shoulders. But we feel less comfortable identifying with the Jesus who's pictured with a sword coming out of his mouth in judgment, as he's described in Revelation chapter 1. The one who is coming to eradicate evil by the force of his own nature, by the power of his own holiness. And even now we share in his mission to confront evil and exploitation and injustice as part of his kingdom right here and right now. That's part of the God-given responsibility of any society to protect its people. I would love to live in a world where everything could be settled through negotiation. But that's not reality. There are people who will not be stopped from doing their evil except by a greater show of force. And some of them won't be stopped, quite frankly, until they're dead. As much as we may recoil from the idea of violence, we must never be lulled into thinking that everyone can be pacified through other means. I'm sure you're familiar with the famous line from Edmund Burke that all that is necessary for evil to triumph is for good men to do nothing. So frequently, good people can get paralyzed when faced with this reality of evil. There's lots of hand-wringing and thumb-twiddling. Good people become so timid and so cautious that they actually become unwitting accomplices to the spread of evil. We all understand this with police officers who are sometimes called upon to use deadly force to protect themselves or bystanders. They don't, they don't want to use deadly force, but we are so glad that they have the training and the courage to do so when it is absolutely necessary. And the same thing is true when we think globally about the continuing terroristic threat. That isn't just against us in the United States, but against governments of all shapes and styles all over the world. We have to understand that there will always be a segment of seriously dangerous people who will not be stopped until they are forced to stop. And as a society, that's our responsibility too. Now, evil can be opposed by force, but it can only be overcome by love. True, long-lasting solutions can only be created in an atmosphere of forgiveness and trust. I wish I had time this morning to go into more detail on this particular point, but suffice it to say, 
that the best examples of how to turn things around, of how to, how to find true peace that can happen in the world, is really given to us by the people of Rwanda and Uganda. After the genocides that took place in those countries back in 1994, where almost a million people were killed and slaughtered, they found their way back. They found their way through all the racial and religious and, and ethnic hatred. They found their way back to peace through forgiveness and trust and love, primarily, primarily through faith in Jesus Christ. It was the churches that were at the center of the reconciling effort that finally took place in Rwanda and Uganda and brought those countries back together. Force was necessary to stop the violence, but it was only the reconciliation that came through the churches and through faith in Christ that actually brought healing and peace. They lived out what Paul said to the Romans. Don't take revenge, my dear friends. Leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, it's mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. And in doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. They lived that, and it worked. And toward that end, as we think about how to go forward in our time, we need to link arms with others in opposing evil, link arms with people from all different faith traditions or or no faith at all who sincerely are seeking peace in our world and the common good. So whether people are Muslims or Sikhs or Hindus or Buddhists or nothing at all, we have common ground when it comes to opposing the evil of terrorism in the world. And we need to stand together and to work together to seek lasting peace that comes through forgiveness and love. Two weeks ago on the Friday night before Hurricane Irene hit, there were a group of us who were at a conference in Minneapolis. And of course, all our flights got canceled and we were looking at the prospect of sending an initial three or four nights in the hotel before we could fly back to New Jersey. So we decided to uh, rent a van and just drive all night long until we got back. We ended up driving 21 hours straight. And, you know, uh, those of you who know Ted Jordan, uh, he can do anything if you give him enough Red Bull. It was really incredible. But we drove 21 hours through seven different states, and when we hit Pennsylvania, we were amazed to see these long lines of utility trucks coming east from all over. There were license plates from, from Michigan and Arkansas and Wisconsin, Ohio, Iowa, all those Midwestern states, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of these utility trucks and, and tree trucks all coming towards New Jersey and New York, coming together to face this common problem. And it's the same for us as we look at our world. Whatever our cultural or religious differences, wherever it is that we come from, there are things that we hold in common. And we do need to come together to get the job done. Well, what about you personally? As you face your feelings on this particular day, your feelings about this world, its evils and and all its dangers, what I'd like you to do this week is to begin each day by simply reciting Psalm 23. Psalm 23. You know, a lot of people associate Psalm 23, the familiar words, with, with funerals or 
memorial services. They see it primarily as a psalm of, of comfort, and it is that. But it is actually so much more than that. I see Psalm 23, and I've preached on this before. I see Psalm 23 as a psalm of defiance. Defiance. Written by King David as an older man. He's looking back on all the twists and turns of, of his life. He hasn't lived a sanitized life. He's had danger and death all around. He's fought hand-to-hand combat with swords and spears. At this point in his life, he's owned up to his own serious sins and his mistakes and the evil that lives in him. He's experienced God's grace and mercy all the way to the core, but there are plots now against his life. He's facing real enemies who would like to do nothing more than to separate his head from his shoulders. The world around him is a pretty hostile place. And in the face of all that, he comes up with this, what I see as a bold, confident, fearless, defiant, hopeful statement about his absolute confidence in God. The Lord is my shepherd. I have everything I need. He lets me rest in green pastures. He leads me to calm waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. And even though I walk through a valley that's shadowed by death, I will fear no evil because you are with me. Your rod and your shepherd's staff, they comfort me. You prepare a banquet before me, right in front of my enemies. You pour the oil of blessing over my head. My cup overflows. Surely your goodness and your love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Folks, that's how we overcome evil with good. That's how we go forward, by living in that kind of confidence, living into that kind of hope and power that comes to us through God by Jesus Christ. In a minute, you're going to hear a more contemporary version of Psalm 23 from the band. The words are printed on a bookmark in your bulletin, and I hope you'll use that bookmark, maybe use that as your daily prayer this week. But take these few moments. Just as you listen, let God's Spirit speak to your heart. Let Him speak His strength and His, his peace, His hope, His power, His presence. Let Him speak all that into your life today and every day. And to hear His challenge, don't be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Amen.